Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more information, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Can you help me thank our worship team this morning for their faithfulness and commitment and love and ministry to us and all of our teams? Can you help me thank our cleaning team this morning for all of their love and faithfulness and giving. I mean, we've got so many teams that do so much here, and we are grateful for every single one of them. We're grateful that you're here this morning, and if you haven't already, take your uh, handouts you were given as you came in, and on one side is a, a great list of opportunities for you to serve in and be a part of and help with and, and get involved with and use your giftings. On the other side is this handy outline to take notes with, and uh, how many of you are thankful for that? It's about seven of us. What about the rest of you? Come on, get with the program, people. And a lot of good things are going on. And uh, some of you, I, I know this, I know this from uh, a few years of ministry experience. Some of you came in today and you were thinking, well, it's going to be a great day at church. And it always is. And, and you got your hand out and you're looking through one side of all the opportunities like, yeah, great stuff going. Yep, yep, like that. And be involved with that. Got to get in touch with the right person. And then you flipped it over to the outline side and you, you looked, oh man, yeah, we're, we're starting a new series on 2 Corinthians. Everything's looking good so far. You get to the part that says forgiven to forgive. And at that point, some of you are thinking, I'm going back out to the car and I'm going to Hardy's to get me a gravy biscuit and not even be at church today, right? I know, I know some of you, I know how it is. And man, this is, this is a tough area. And that's why some of you are tempted to just take off and, and not be here today. And some of you are tempted to check out right now and not track with us. And you got to put your grocery list together, your to-do list for the week, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, kids getting ready to go back to school. How many of you are thankful school's starting back soon? <clears throat> that's every parent in the room, basically. All the kids are not. But you're, 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 you're tempted to do something else other than follow along in God's word this morning. Let me, let me just stop right here and say, don't give in to that temptation. This is not an easy area, but it's, it's one that is so critical. And we're jumping in, as I said a moment ago, this brand new study on Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. We looked a, a while back at, at his first letter, 1 Corinthians, and we know that history tells us he wrote really four different letters, but two of them are recorded in our Bible. And we're hitting some highlights in this study as we only really have six weeks to, uh, to deal with some stuff. And so uh, as he did in, in the first letter, Paul is dealing with some issues within God's people in the church there in Corinth, like a parent with their child making some loving corrections, right? Because all godly correction comes from a heart of love that says, hey, I want the best for you. Therefore, I'm going to lay out some parameters. I'm going to put some guidelines in place. I'm going to help you walk according to those. And sometimes that's a painful time in helping you get where you need to to be right and we all know that we've dealt with it from from being the child at times and, and having our parents you know lovingly correct us at times how many of you remember some of those corrections how many of you remember like me and you did the belt dance with your your parents a couple times and if you're not familiar with that that's where your parent takes one arm with their hand and starts trying to spank you while you hop around trying to avoid it. And, and I used to call that the belt dance. And believe me, I danced that dance quite a number of times. I got really, really good at it because I was uh, in trouble quite often and had to be lovingly corrected. And I knew that's what it was. And so Paul's dealing with some more stuff here with the church at Cor Corinth, which he planted 
and he loved dearly as a father loves a child. And, and so today we're going to answer a very important question. And that is this. And I didn't put it on your outline so you can write it down. How should we treat someone when they mess up? Now, 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 mind you, I, I know that none of you in this room are listening to me uh, via our live stream. You, you've never messed up, right? I, I'm talking to a group of perfect people I know, right? Anybody? <laughs> Who said that? Yep, Don, come on down to the altar now and just lay here the whole rest of the service. You, you need some help. Everybody blows it. Everybody messes up, including us Christians, right? Matter of fact, we probably do it quite often in some different ways that other people don't. But, but we don't have a very good reputation as Christ followers of how we treat each other when a brother or sister messes up, stumbles, falls, whatever you want to say. Someone has said that the Christian army is the only army that shoots its own wounded and how tragic that is. And when a Christian sends it and it becomes public knowledge, we often refer to them as fallen. They, they've fallen. I mean, is, is it like you've fallen and can't get up like the commercial? Help, you know, I've fallen. No. I mean, what, what is it? It's like, I don't understand, but, but that's the terminology that, that tends to be used in those instances. But Instead of extending a hand to help them up, many Christians react by just kicking them when they're down. Is that right? Is that the way it should be? I don't think so. But thankfully, we find some very strong words in 2 Corinthians on how we should treat a brother or sister who have messed up in their lives. And we're going to begin reading in 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 where Paul writes these words to them and to us today. These are valid for us right now. He says, if anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Not to put it too severely, the punishment inflicted on him, he's talking about a particular person, by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be, and listen to this, mark this in your Bible, overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. It goes on, it says, I urge you therefore to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive it. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ Jesus for your sake. In order, now catch this last part, verse 11, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Quite a bit to unpack in these six or seven verses. Now, whenever we study the Bible, we should always ask at least three questions. Question number one, what do these words mean to the people addressed at the time they were written some 2,000 plus years ago. Question number two, what are the principles revealed in this passage that apply to all Christians everywhere? And, and the biggie, question number three, how do these words and biblical principles apply to me today? Would you turn to your neighbor and say, ask how they apply to you. Now turn to your other neighbor and say the same thing. Ask how these apply to you. Some of you that may be sitting somewhere you don't have a neighbor, just point to yourself and say, how do these apply to you? Just make it fun. Because that's what we want to grab a hold of. We don't come to church just to check a box and, and, and you know, fulfill a ritual and, and go through the motions here. No. My prayer, my heart, my desire is that we come to church to meet with God. 
to worship him, to be alive in his presence with a body of believers and also to open our lives up and say, God, whatever it is that you want to do in me and with me and through me, do it today. Do it now. Don't wait. I need it, God. Come and show up and change me to be more like you. So that's what we want to ask, and that's what we want to pray. And, and, and let's just jump into this outline right now, beginning with number one on your outline is the problem. Seems to me there's always a problem, right? How many of you got problems in here today? There you go. One problem is can't keep Don quiet. That's a whole other subject. Okay, the problem, there's always a problem. Someone sinned and they were confronted by the group. Back to verse 6. He has not so much grieved me as he's grieved all of you. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him, Paul said. So there was a man in the church at Corinth, long story short, who had committed some type of sin that had grieved Paul and the entire church. And we don't know who he was. We don't know what he had done. There's no names named or anything like that. Some suggest this may be this, this man addressed uh, that Paul addressed in 1 Corinthians 5 who was guilty of sin sexual immorality, but most Bible scholars tend to agree that he's referring to another incident that took place. Maybe it was referring to the man who had publicly opposed the Apostle Paul and created division and discord in the church. We're not sure of who he was or what he's done, and I think that's a good thing. And the reason why is because we can tend to look at that and say, well, he's just addressing this particular sin, this particular kind of fall, and I haven't done that, so I'm immune from it. I'm all good. It's all, it's all clear for me. No. These principles apply to every one of us in any way that we might blow it. So let's just clear that up right now. This man had been confronted by the larger group because Paul mentions the punishment inflicted on him by the majority. Now the word majority might mean that there was even some kind of vote on the issue amongst the, the church itself. But based upon what Jesus taught in Matthew 18, there are times when issues like this should be addressed by the larger group, right? Some of you are going, I have no clue. I've not even heard of anything like this. So here's, let me just give it to you real quick. Here's what Jesus taught. Basically, there are three steps that should be followed. Now, whenever you've got some kind of conflict or issue, whenever so-and-so is mad at so-and-so, whenever so-and-so is not speaking to so-and-so, whenever something's happened and somebody's got offended and their little feelings are hurt and they're just pouting and they're not acting like they should be and getting along with others like we learn in kindergarten, Right? And that's one of the first things that we're all taught. Let's all just get along. But when that's not happening within the church, and it's going to happen. How many of you know all about that? Somebody's going to get offended. Somebody's going to want to take their ball and go home. And somebody's going to uh, freeze out somebody else and, and treat them like crud and all that stuff. We know it, even though they're Christians. Here's what Jesus says. Number one, if you got all against your brother, go to that person one-on-one. Now, I'm just going to get real, real blunt here. Preach. This is one of the worst areas in the Christian track record that there is. Nobody wants to deal with stuff the right way, the biblical way, the Jesus way. Oh, they want to claim knowing Jesus and all oh, Jesus' love and he's good with everything and all. They know this false narrative of Jesus that today's society has kind of put together with rubber bands and masking tape and duct tape and everything else and want to sell to everybody. But the real Jesus says, if you've got all against your brother, if you've got a conflict, go to that person in love, one-on-one. -on -one. And then he says, step two is if they will not hear you. In other words, if they've got this wall of defense built up and they're not going to let you in, and they're not going to reason with you, they're not going to go to the Lord and say, God, help us work this out. If they want to remain in their stuff and be right and kind of hold their arms across their chest and bow up a little bit, then he says, take somebody else with you, another believer with you. 
and reason with them in that way. So there's a couple of people there together. There's several there. There's a, a small group. And then he says this. Step three, if you've got to go to this extent, take them to the church. Now, in other words, we had come together as a body of believers like this. And so-and-so would bring so-and-so, which so-and-so probably wouldn't want to show up. Like, I don't want my stuff aired in front of everybody. But who, who's given us in, this instruction? Jesus. You see, that's what pride leads to. Pride will not allow forgiveness to take place. It won't allow healing to come. Instead, it just digs its heels in and says, I want to be right no matter what the cost. But Jesus is saying, if you want to be right, not according to your own standard of rightness, but mine, you get that stuff out of the way. You let that stuff go. And that's exactly what's going on. It has went on here in this particular situation. They went through the biblical steps. They followed the model and the teaching of Jesus. And this man came and they worked it out with him. And, and he responded properly. And a beautiful thing happened. We see number two on your outline, the result. The guilty person was sorry and repented. Wow. Now don't raise your hand or say yes or anything else, but how often do you see that happen in this day and time? It is about as rare as a Bigfoot sighting, right? It just don't happen that much anymore. Nobody wants to claim I was wrong. Nobody wants to have the fault on them. Nobody wants it at their doorstep. They just want to say, so-and-so did that, or if they wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have responded this way, or if my parents hadn't treated me like that when I was just a, a wee child in the crib, and I remember that, man. I, I went to this, this exercise, and all those memories came flooding back, and, and really, everything I've done from the time I was six months old up to now is really my parents' fault because of this, this, and this, all that. Nobody wants to claim responsibility. But this man did. It's, it's a refreshing thing when it happens. And what happened in verse 7 was Paul said, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Now the key phrase here, excessive sorrow, is the man at fault had expressed his sorrow over his actions. And Paul said it was time to forgive him so that he wouldn't experience an overload of sorrow. How many of you have been sorrowful almost to the point where you drown in it? And Paul sensed that that could possibly be happening here. There's a direct correlation between sorrow and repentance. In our culture, we've kind of worn out the phrase, I'm sorry. Most of the time when people apologize now, they, they do it like this. I'm sorry you were hurt by it. <laughs> Not sorry that I did it. I mean, I heard that before when somebody walked out of my life and they sent me a nice letter and said, you had no responsibilities and I'm sorry that you were hurt by all this. I'm like, really? Boy, that makes things right, right? I feel a whole lot better. Thank you very much. And that's typically how we kind of use I'm sorry these days. It's not a real deep sorrow. We don't own the stuff that we've done. We don't feel that in, in our, the depths of who we are. We don't take that personally. We don't say, man, I know that I hurt somebody. First of all, I know that I hurt my God. And I know that I hurt somebody else or other people in this process. And man, I am hurting deep inside. Knowing that I was the one that made the choices, that said the stuff, that did the actions that caused this to be in others and in God. We've got to relearn what godly sorrow is because the Bible tells us that godly sorrow brings what? Repentance. 
Write that down somewhere. Godly sorrow brings repentance. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 9. The Bible teaches that's the byproduct of a true godly sorrow. There's far different from this worldly sorrow that really doesn't bring any change. Godly sorrow will bring a definite change. Someone once wrote, this man had repented. He had admitted what he was do- what he'd done was wrong. And that, that's what repentance is. It's, it's a change. It's an admittance of, of guilt there, of, of wrongdoing. The sign that you really see that what you did was wrong is that you begin to see the hurt that you have caused by it. And it creates a sense of sorrow that you have been the instrument by which many have been damaged in their faith or they're in their feelings or whatever the case may be. Therefore, the mark of true repentance is a heart that's full of sorrow. And change will come from that. And thankfully, this man's heart was changed and he truly repented. Don't you love when that happens? I'm gonna say, out of about 100% of the time, I've probably seen that happen about 25% of the time. And man, that's far too little. That's far, far too little. It's, it's far too little. It breaks the heart of God when we don't want to do that, do the right thing. Now let's look at number three, which is the goal. And that is simply this. We should seek to restore those who have repented. Doesn't that make sense? They say, yes, if they say it was me, I, I am truly sorry, sorry for my sins and my actions and, and the stuff I've done, the stuff is whatever the case may be, then our heart should be, praise God, we should celebrate. And then we should say, how can we restore you back to the fullness of your relationship with Christ and your relationship amongst the church body and family? But shockingly, some Christians don't really have this heart of reconciliation, and it begs the question, are they really even Christians at all? I mean, I mean, think about it for just a moment because honestly, that's the heart of Christianity, reconciliation and restoration. Would you not agree with that? If it weren't, Jesus would have not needed to go to the cross to restore fallen, broken humanity. But he knew that was our greatest need and we couldn't do anything about it ourselves We couldn't save ourselves, so to speak. We couldn't do enough good deeds in this world to get ourselves righteous in God's sight. So Jesus said, hey, I will go. I will lay my life down. I will pay the price for their sins, and I will redeem them. In other words, he's saying this. I will be the instrument of grace in which brings salvation and forgiveness to fallen humanity. That's what it's all about. If you have accepted Christ as Savior in your life, then guess what? You've been forgiven. You've been restored. You've been redeemed. So how dare that we hold out on that to someone else who has struggled, has fallen, has sinned. Here's the answer to the question I asked just a few moments ago. How we should treat people who have messed up, who have sinned, who have fallen short. The paraphrase of verse 7 out of what is called the message Bible says, Now is the time to forgive this man and help him back on his feet. If all you do is pour on the guilt, you could very well drown him in it. And I love this part. Paul says, My counsel now is to pour on the love. Doesn't that sound a lot better? You don't want to kick a person when they're down. You, want to, you don't want to treat them like, like they've messed up and, and, and committed the, the un, you know, unforgivable sin. No. 
You want to go to them. You want to rescue them. You want to pour love and grace and mercy on them. You want to do whatever it takes through Christ Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to help restore a fallen brother or sister in the Lord and get them back on track. That's our calling. Part of who we are, a big part. When a brother or sister of sin then sorrowed and repented, then our only goal, goal should be to restore them. That means to restore them to fellowship and usefulness in the kingdom of God. Now, sadly, it seems that more churches practice rejection rather than restoration. Kick you to the curb, they're done with you. No more. Wash their hands of you. You're disqualified. You've blown it too bad. You've messed up too much. That could never be forgiven. You can never be put back into a, a place of, of being trusted again. Isn't that kind of how the, 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 the situations usually go these days? And all the while, Paul, Jesus, all those people that, that know what they're talking about are telling us that's not the way to handle these things. You are to, look at me and hear this church, forgive and seek full restoration. Man, what a, what a concept that is. The Bible teaches also that that restoration is to be gentle and not painful. You want a good illustration of that? Gentle, like Mr. Jenkins turns on his air conditioners at the first of the summer. <laughs> How many of you love those commercials? Turn that AC on, you got to do it gently. I'm like, dude, where do you come up with this stuff? How do you turn the AC on gently? Every time I go to turn mine on at the first of the, the hot weather, man, I go in there and I put the button to on from off. I mean, I don't do it harshly. I don't take a hammer and knock it over there. I just flip. That's a whole other story. I'm sorry. I'm getting sidetracked. But the Bible literally says we're to go to them gently, not smugly, not harshly. Not pouring on condemnation, not holding our arms again across our chest looking down. I'm saying, boy, you, you better be glad I'm choosing to, to forgive you in this. You better be glad, you know, because I could have easily not have made that choice. I could have easily just let you wallow in that stuff and leave you out here on the curb for the trash collector to pick up and, and you're done. And no, but no, I guess I'll, I'll give you another shot. Nobody wants that, right? Do you think Jesus in heaven did that with us? No, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come to me, I'll forgive you. Come to me, I'll love you. Come to me, I'll restore you. Just come, I want you, I need you, I love you, I value you. We can't afford to have that kind of attitude, that kind of stuff going on. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, do it gently. It also says, watch yourself so you're not tempted to carry each other's burdens and, and in this way you're going to fulfill the law of Christ. You who are spiritual should restore him gently. That temptation he's talking about that, that you, you don't also be tempted is really talking about having that attitude of, of looking down at people. Of treating them less than the valued creation of God that they are. We can't afford to let that slip in any way, shape, or form at all. Listen, restoring others, we should always remember the adage, there but for the grace of God go I. According to the scripture, there are 
two things involved in restoration. Number one, and don't miss this, restoration means forgive them because you have been what? Forgiven. If you're in this room, if you're hearing this this morning, if you're going to hear this in the days ahead, guess what? If you come to Christ and you call upon him for his salvation, for his restoration, you are living forgiven. He doesn't just give it out sparingly. He pours it upon us. And the Bible says he chooses not to remember it against us any longer, that he, that he cast it as far as the east is to the west, and he removes all of our sins and our transgressions, and he forgives us 100% complete, totally, never to hold anything against us again. Boy, isn't that amazing. We've been forgiven that much. How could we not forgive? And I just want to tell you, some of you in this room, right now, this morning, May not even be with another brother or sister in Christ. Might be some sinner out there that's done you wrong or whatever. But look at me and hear this. You have been living for who knows how long in this prison called unforgiveness. You've been locked up, man. And you know who's paying the price for it? Not them. It's not hurting them at all. They're going on about their way doing whatever they're doing and all that stuff, man. They're zippity-doo-dah and they're not even having a second thought about it most of the time. But you're messed up because of it. You've allowed that poison to get into your system and it is destroying you. And that's what, that's what unforgiveness does. When we hold that stuff in, we pay the price physically, spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. It affects every part of our being. So forgiven to be a forgiver. God has forgiven us so that we we will forgive those who have offended us. Just like Jesus. He was, he was hanging on the cross, literally dying. And he looked up to heaven. He said, Father, what? Zap them. <laughs> they deserve it. Look at what they're doing to me. Come on, show up big time here. Burn them all up. No, he didn't say that. We probably would have. I mean, that's just kind of how we, we operate in, in the flesh we live in. We, we, it gets the best of us sometimes. No, instead he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they have done. Look at me. How dare we hold anything against somebody else if Jesus was willing to forgive that? Man, God help us. God, if we can get there, I'm telling you, the majority of your battle will be behind you if you can get right there. If we, with the help of, and I know some of you are saying, well, Pastor, you don't know. <laughs> I probably do. Well, you don't understand. You've lived in this velvet tower. Nothing's ever affected you. You've had it so good because you're, you're a preacher. <laughs> Come hang out with me for a couple months. You might be running for the hills. I do know. And you know. But man, I am telling everyone who will listen. If you can forgive through Christ Jesus, your life will be changed. For the, the super good 
I'm talking about a freeing will come to you. I'm talking about a heaviness will be lifted. I'm talking about prison doors will be opened up. I'm talking about chains falling off of you. I'm talking about your life will never be the same because you have chosen to be like Christ and say, forgive them all. Lord, I don't hold anything against them any longer. God, I choose to forgive and set them and me free. No more will I be in bondage. Freedom. And I'm telling you, church, there is no other way to live than freedom. I lived in hate for two and a half years. I lived in unforgiveness for that long. I lived in a bitterness, man. I held that stuff inside of me, and it was eating me away inside out. I became this person I didn't even recognize that I never had been before, and I don't want to ever be again. And it wasn't until I came to the foot of the cross and said, God, teach me how. Teach me how to forgive. Let me forgive. Give me the power. Lord, show me how. Help me do this. God, I'm pleading with you. I do not want to live this way another second. And when that took place, this took place. Miracles happened. Freedom came. God showed up and let me live again. I cannot I cannot tell you how powerful and how important this is to every single one of us that'll listen to it. When you, when you forgive someone, you're making three promises very quickly as we finish this up. Number one, you're making a promise to the person who you are forgiving and you're saying, I promise that I won't allow a relationship to be governed any longer by what happened. I will treat you as if it never happened, man, that's big. Hey, listen, and that doesn't depend on how they treat you. That depends on how you choose to treat them in Christ Jesus. Just remember that. Number two, you're also saying, I promise that I will not pass this information along to anybody else. I'm not going to go out there and talk about it and beat that drum and repeat it and go, and go cry out on the, the street corner. This is what they did to me. How terrible they are and how poor and pitiful I am. Not going to do it. And the third promise is this. I will repeat the act and the choice of forgiveness every single time that that memory comes back in my mind. Whoo, buddy, that's, that's tough. Because you know, five years can get down the road on you and all of a sudden you see something or you hear something or something just brings that, that memory back and man, next thing you know, you start feeling something in the pit of your stomach. It's like, yeah, yeah, I do remember. Man, and if you don't stop it, what happens? It begins to grow again. So whenever the enemy wants to lie to you, bring that stuff back, stir it up again, stop it. Cut it off. Tell him to get behind you where he belongs. Get him under your feet. Romans 16, 19, the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath my feet. Let him know where he belongs and it's not right there between your ears. He has no place there unless you invite him to come in and let him set up shop and reside there and just talk to you all the time. Get him out of your life. He doesn't belong there. You're making that choice. You will not. You will not dwell on that. You will not bring that back up. You will not let that say, hey, Billy Graham said many, many years ago, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you sure can keep them from building a nest in your hair. 
Make that decision, cut it off. Restoration also means to love them because you have been loved. Galatians 6, 2, we see that restoration involves carrying someone's burden. When you do that, you fulfill the law of Christ. There are hundreds of laws in the Old Testament. Jesus gave us one law, and that was the law of love. He said, for us to love the Lord thy God with all your heart and love our neighbors as, ourse as ourselves. How much more simple could it be? Love God, love people. Everybody needs to be loved. Everybody's crying out for love. But when somebody has fall, fallen and failed, they desperately need to hear that they are loved. That's why Paul says to reaffirm your love for the one that has failed. Again, you may be thinking they don't deserve to be loved. Well, neither did we. But the Bible says Christ loved us while we were yet what? Sinners. He didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up and get all spiffy and, and show up at church and say, I've got it together now, man. Jesus is going to love me. No, he loved us when we were in the gutter. He loved us when we had nothing together. He loved us when we had ducks and they were scattered everywhere. They weren't even getting anywhere close to being in a row. But he loved us. And he says, love in that same manner. John four nineteen, that great verse. We love because he first loved us. Lastly, on your outline, the payoff, restoration disrupts Satan's plans. As we read that passage, it's kind of crazy. It's talking about forgiveness and all this, and, which is good stuff. And then all of a sudden, verse 11, it just jumps in there and says, hey, get rid of Satan. He's here trying to mess everything up. Get him out of the picture. Don't give him any room to come in and, and, and do any damage. Just, just be done with him. Know what his schemes are. Know what his methods are. Know how he operates. And basically, it's the same as it's always been. Division and lies. Division and lies. Remember when that started church? Look at me right here. We're just going to finish up right here with this. In the garden, many, many, many years ago, it, back in Genesis chapter 3, I think it was, Adam and Eve was there. Man, everything was hunky-dory, paradise. Man, fruit, whenever you wanted it. You know, good naps, no clothing. You didn't have to get up and decide what you was going to wear that day. Why? Because you didn't have to wear anything. Now, Don, we're not doing that here, okay? So don't even... Don't even bring that up to me again. I know it's been five or six times you mentioned it, but man, what a, what a paradise, especially for guys who are married and your wife's always saying, I've got nothing to wear, to which you promptly walk into their closet and see row after row after row after row of clothing and more shoes than they can fit in one closet. You're like, uh, well, what's all this stuff? Bam, you get popped upside the head. You understand what a paradise. But the enemy of God, that old deceiver, came in while Adam was off doing something and Eve was there by herself and started lying to her. And she bought the lie. And that's what he loves to do with us. And that's why Paul encouraged, urged, strongly told this church at Corinth, don't buy the lie. Don't let him get a foothold. Don't give him an inch. He'll take a mile. Don't crack the door a little bit. Just be done with him. You know his methods. You know how he operates. And that's exactly the same thing he loves to do with every single one of us. He'll start with a lie. He'll try to pick you off and get you alone. And then he'll start lying to you. But the Bible declares to us, and it shows up in powerful ways, know the truth, and the truth will do what? It'll set you free, Jack. That's what it's all about. 
So when he comes to you with a lie, know the truth. And you'll be able to withstand his methods. And you'll be able to be victorious when it comes to everything that God has for you. Would you close your eyes with me just for a few moments and listen. I got at least two things to ask you about as we go to Lord in prayer. Number one is this. If you're in here and you're listening to this by live stream or whatever and, and you, you're hearing me right now and in your own life you need forgiveness. You have blown it. You have messed up. You've been struggling with something. I, I don't care. We've all been there so you're not alone. But right now there is something in your heart in your life that needs the grace, the love, the forgiveness of Christ. With every eye closed in this room would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I, I got something that I need to give to Jesus. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? Yes. 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 Over here to my left. Yes. Yes. You just need, you need the Lord to just come and, and forgive and bring that freedom. I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's you're holding on to unfor unforgiveness, bitterness, and anger, and resentment. And I, I don't know. But whatever it is. If you're in need of that today, join these other eight, ten people that raise their hand and just say, yep, that's where I'm at, Pastor. Pray for me too in this, this time as we move in our service. Anyone else? Maybe you're in here and you would say, I, I'm in a place where I need to forgive someone else. I've got a conflict. There's something going on with me and, and somebody, maybe it's friend, family, neighbor, coworker. I don't know. Somebody from the past, somebody from the present. I don't know. But, but if you're in here and you say there's some, some work that needs to be done, I need to go gently and lovingly and follow what God has laid out in his word for us to do when it comes to conflict resolution and, and going and, and getting stuff worked out best I can. And they may not receive it, but as much as it depends on me, I'm going to go. And I'm going to be obedient to what Jesus laid out. If, if that's you in this room, would you just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me to have the courage. Yes, ma'am. And the boldness. Yes. And then I will take those steps. Yes. Yes. How many others? Yes. 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 Anybody else? Thank you. Not easy, but needed desperately. If you're in here and you currently don't walk with Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you haven't picked up the cross to follow Him as a true disciple. But man, God's been working in your heart all day, all morning, all week, all month, all year. I don't know. But the Holy Spirit's stirring in your life to fall out of love with this world and fall in love with Jesus Christ and give Him everything of who you are. Before we pray this prayer, if that's you in this room, would you raise your hand as well this morning? God's here. He wants you. He relentlessly pursues you and a relationship with you. Anyone at all? Yes. Anybody else? Thank you so much. I want to ask that we all stand up right now. And as we all stand to our feet, whether you raised a hand for anything or not, but as we begin to worship God again, I just want to invite you that did raise a hand and said, Pastor, I got some stuff that, that I need to have Christ come and work in and help me and heal and, and restore. Would you just meet me right here at this this front of the church, I just want to pray with you personally as, as we 
we move into this next time of, of worship and loving on Jesus and finish out our time, would you, would you come now, those of you who did raise a hand, and maybe if you want somebody to walk down with you, just nudge them a little bit and say, hey, come with me. I, I, I need you to come and, and stand by me. Would you come? Thank you. Thank you. Who else is coming this morning? God, God's here to meet with you. Would you just meet with him right here in this way and, and surrender all of that as you come and stand shoulder to shoulder across the front of this church? I need some other people who just feel led to come and stand with your brothers and sisters in Christ and minister and pray and love on them as well. God's here to release and bring freedom and wholeness to us. Open up those prison doors and drop those chains. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you guys just begin to pray for all of these up front? And if you need to come and be a part of this for whatever reason, this altar is open for you as well. And God's here to do a special, special, powerful, life-changing work as we spend this time together. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Nobody deserves forgiveness. That's the beauty of it. It's a gift. And Lord, you pour that out so freely and so abundantly. God, it's, it's as if your well never runs dry of love and forgiveness. Your mercies are new every day. Your grace flows like a river. God, we are so thankful for you. And how much you love us and all that you came to do for us. And in us and through us, God. So right now, look at these lives and look at these hearts. And God, the hunger and the thirst that's in them today, Jesus. And Lord, you fill them with yourself and your power and your love and your grace and your forgiveness. And help us to be able to let it flow out of us as rivers of living water that's in us, God. A well that never runs dry and springs up and gushes out of our lives and pours onto others. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit bringing change today. Real change. Not just a temporary fix, God, but this is an eternal change, a transformation, God, from death to life this day. No matter what age or stage of life, God, I thank you for freedom and forgiveness and healing and wholeness, God, protection. You cover us, God, with your mighty hand. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for everything you are and everything you're doing and healing that's coming, God. Lives that are changing, relationships that are changing this day. This day brings the start of it, Lord. And we honor you and bless you. And God, as they continue to, to pray and, and, and meet with you right now, God, we just worship you with hearts of thankfulness. We just worship you with everything that we are because of who you are, church. Would you honor him today in song and, and worship again? Let it flow from your heart to his. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more information, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.